All right, good morning. Good to see you guys again. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to head that direction. As you make your way there, uh, let me take a second to thank uh, Chris Cole for stepping in last week to preach. Um, I've been on a little vacation time and am very, uh, feel very rested and ready to get back to it. Um, a lot of exciting things going on uh, in our church, in our world. Uh, just very happy to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey in the next couple of weeks, really between now and probably uh, Advent. We're going to look at the life of David. Um, we wanted to do this for a long time, just kind of a, a character study of sorts. And so if you've been longing for some Old Testament some of you folks like give me that Old Testament. So uh, here we go. Uh, for the next several weeks, we'll be digging into that a little bit. Uh, if you know anything about David, he is uh, he has some really high highs and some really low lows, and we're going to explore all of all of that together in the next couple weeks. And so um, let's just get right into it, the, where we first meet David for the first time in the in the biblical narrative, First Samuel sixteen. Let's, look just, let's just look at verse 1 for a second. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you, will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Okay, so uh, we're going to get to know David really well. There's some other characters in here that we need to know as well. One of them is a guy by the name of Samuel. Uh, Samuel is um, one of the like kind of underrated biblical figures, uh, but he is a crucial, crucial part of the Old Testament story. And really, between Joshua and and David, like if you take Joshua, if you're on a timeline between Joshua and David. Uh, Samuel was the leader of Israel. He served as a prophet, which means that he was the, the mouthpiece of God. He spoke the words of God to God's people. Um, and he also spent time serving in the role of judge, which we think certain thing uh, with judge. But it was more of a, like a military political leader of the people. And so he was both the mouthpiece of God and the leader of Israel, but not quite the king. Um, he stood in that gap um, and played a really, really important role in, in history. Um, so you have Samuel and you have a guy named Saul. Now Saul was uh, the king of Israel at this time. He was chosen to be the king uh, by the people. Um, they kind of went through this thing where they were like, uh, how come all the other nations around us have a king and we don't have a king? Uh, can we have a king so that we can be like a legit nation? And God was like, well, actually, I'm going to be your king because um, I'm a better king than all the earthly kings. And that will make you different from everyone else. And they'll see that and then they'll get brought into our kingdom. And they just refused and refused and refused. And so eventually he's like, okay, let's find you. You'll have your way. So they picked Saul. Uh, we know that he... Um, was rejected ultimately by God after a series of disobedient 
choices that he made, driven by his own pride, his own insecurity, the fear of man, all the stuff that's made him a really terrible king. Um, and so at the time, you have Saul, who has become the king, and you have Samuel, who is the prophet and had been the judge and is sort of like, like they're both kind of co-leading in different ways. But Saul is the king. He's the authority figure. Um, and so in this first verse, we see both of those introduced. And then we see the fact that rather than um, uh, God like putting up with Saul as this human, uh, like the, the choice of the people who was doing a terrible job, he's like, okay, I'm going to step in. I've rejected Saul as king. I'm going to put my, my guy in there now. I'm going to choose my own person. And not leave it up to the people. And so that's what is about to happen next. So look at verse 2. Samuel said, how can I go to Bethlehem? Uh, How can I go? Because if Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So so Samuel rolls into Bethlehem. They're a little bit nervous because this dude is important. Like, have you come? Why are you here? It's like, I've come to sacrifice. So bring everyone together, uh, especially Jesse and his family. And so they come together. And, and so in the next like, section, you're going to see that uh, in kind of like a weird, like uh, the bachelor kind of moment, uh, or I don't know this would be the bachelorette. Anyway, he, he, all, the, all the sons come through one by one by one by one. Um, So as you can see, the bachelor is based on biblical principles. Um, (laughs) Verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab. This is Samuel. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Like I'm going to give him the rose, right? Uh, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesse, called Abinadab, this will be the second son, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. It was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. 
Now, have you, you guys ever had to audition for anything? It's terrible, right? Anyone's ever had to audition for, whether it's like you're trying out to be in a play or you're trying out for some sort of musical thing or trying out to make a sports team or something like that. It's, it's a terrible, terrible experience. My, one, the worst audition I've ever had, I was in the 10th grade and I was sitting in English class and there was a knock on the door and the, the drama teacher and the choir teacher were like, can we see him for a second? I step out into the hallway. I'm not in drama and I'm not in choir. They're like, okay, we're thinking about doing this musical. And we were thinking that maybe you could like be in it. It's like, okay. Um, they're like, but we, we need to watch you walk. <laughs> and which I was kind of relieved because I thought they were going to make me like sing or act right on the spot. I'm like, in the hallway with these two teachers and they're like, we need to see you walk. I'm like, this is... Now thinking back on it, I'm like, that's kind of weird. Um, so I was like, okay. okay. They're like, can you just like walk down the hall? So I like walk down the hall. Now I've been made, my walk apparently is very distinct and people made fun of me my whole life and uh, all you people can kick rocks because I don't really care. I, just, I walk, <laughs> I walk like I walk. It just walks. So I walk, and then they like, okay, walk back toward us. So I walk back toward them, and they're, they're kind of talking to each other, and they're like, can you, can you walk, uh, can you walk, like, cooler than that? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, you know? So I, like, immediately, I go to, like, John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever, two paint cans walking down the street, you know? Some of you know? <laughs> this side doesn't know. This side, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I remember that. And so I, like, walk down the hall, and it's like, the more I tried to walk cool, the like farther away from like true north of cool I got. It just got worse and worse and worse. It was it was really embarrassing. And they're like, "Okay, you can uh, you can go back to English now." And uh, it was terrible. Now, if you've ever been in an audition, like it's difficult. Some auditions that I've been through, you're auditioning with the other people you're up against. That would be really terrible as well. Can you imagine losing an audition with the people that you're with and they're all your siblings? Like, can you imagine the firstborn who they're like, hey, you know, the firstborn that steps up, Eliab is his name. And you know how firstborns are. We're all the same. Like we think like, I got this, especially in the ancient, in a, a thousand years before Jesus was born, the firstborn male, everything was coming to him anyway. And he probably thought like, oh, I got this for sure. Right. And then he gets crushed because, like, no, the Lord has rejected him. Like, that's a very harsh word. Secondborn, all you secondborns, like, perk up a little bit. Like, yeah, that's right. Finally, the firstborn's not getting all the attention. And so the secondborn is probably like, oh, finally I get to show everyone how, like, my firstborn or my older sibling is, a, is just a complete fool. And I finally get my chance to shine. Nope, rejected. Thirdborn comes in. No one even really has realized that he's there anymore at this point, right? Then, like, he gets rejected. Four, five, six, and seven aren't even, they didn't even make the list. Like, Samuel didn't even name them. Some of you inner middle kids are, like, feeling so heard right now. You're like, oh. And this is the, the rise of the youngest, right? All you youngest borns are like, there it is. Go find the youngest one. Where are they? Out playing in the yard somewhere, right? David's out tending to the sheep. They bring him in. He run, it, it says that he was ruddy. You know what that means? It's like when a kid's been playing real hard and their face turns red. That's what that means. So he comes in probably sweaty, ruddy. He says he's handsome. 
probably stunk to high heaven because he had been with the sheep. And he's the one, like he's the anointed one. They think he was probably 15 or 16 at the time. It's a, it's a crazy story when you think about it. That this nation that had demanded a king and had a terrible adult male leader, that God was like, I'm going to put my guy in there. And he picks the 15-year-old youngest born who's not even, didn't even get invited to the sacrifice. God's like, yeah. Like, this is a pivotal moment in our history, like our history, and it's built on a really important thing that God weaves into the middle of the story. And you, some of you reacted when I read it, and it's beautiful. Look again at verse 7. This incredible moment is centered around something really important about the Lord. The Lord says to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Here's our first scene of David, and what is at the centerpiece of this? Uh, it's some really important things about the Lord. Now, the, the middle part of this is really important. The Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord sees not as man sees. We, we can't lose fact of, uh, sight of the fact that, like, yes, we are, we are made in his image, and he, he shares so much of himself with us as his image bearers. Absolutely. But we are not the same as him. We are not the same as him. The two songs that we sang this morning... We're like putting that like on the front burner for us. That we are lifting him higher than everything else. That he deserves all of it. But the Bible refers to this as him being holy. It's that he is completely other than anything else that's... He created everything else. He's not like his creation. He shared parts of his creation with us, but we are not the same as him. He is other. He is perfect in his otherness that's what it means for him to be holy and to be set apart isaiah tells it puts it this way in in chapter 55 he says this is god speaking uh, through isaiah my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like the closest, like, like hey, let's, if you were to make a scale, the, the closest thing that like God's like, hey, here's a starting point. You know how you're on the earth and you look way up in the stars and you're like, man, that's a long way. That's a, let's start there. That's how much higher my thoughts are than yours. That's how different I am than you. That's what holiness is. And so, Samuel, like Samuel knew this and understood this, and it was crucial to him. But the holiness of God has everything to do with how this decision is going to go down. What does God think? 
Who does God think should be our king? Like that's essential to him. It's a must for him. And even when he assumed that he knew, like it says in verse six, that the firstborn of Jesse walks out Eliab and he's, he thought, it says he thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed. Surely he's the one. God's like, no. Don't get caught up in the fact that he's the firstborn, that he's not the one I have chosen. I mean, this interpretation, I mean, I rejected him. Like, that's a harsh sounding word, but God's like, no, it's just, he's just not, he's not the one that I have chosen. And so in this moment, a part of what we see is that, like, what's driving this is God's perspective as the Holy One, as whose ways and thoughts are higher. He's like, I know more about what's going on. You guys are going to get caught up in the wrong things. So in verse 7, he says, the Lord sees not as man sees. So how does man see? Well, look at, the, look at what's around the first. Don't look at his appearance, verse 7. Don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. Now, this is not something that I have to convince you is true, right? I don't have to spend the next 15 minutes convincing you that we live in a world that is obsessed with the external. What this tells us is that this is not a modern problem. This is an ancient problem. You're talking a thousand years before Jesus comes. This is old, an old problem. If you were to read 1 Samuel 8 and 10, this got them into trouble already because the reason they chose Saul, uh, it says that he was handsome and that he was taller than everybody else. How many times in history have we gotten in trouble because the people we picked to lead us were good looking and tall, right? All the short average people were like, it's right. But, no, but isn't that like what we do and apparently have done for a very long time? I remember, I remember this distinctly. I was thinking about it this, this week when I was in the seventh grade. Um, our church was, was hiring a youth minister. I was actually coming into the seventh grade. And so I was about to start getting to do youth stuff because it, for some reason they did it in seventh grade instead of sixth grade. Uh, and so they brought in a youth minister and his wife, a candidate, you know. And so he came and met everyone, did the whole, you know, how the, the Baptist world kind of comes in view of a call, whatever that means. Um, and I remember, like, I was a huge eavesdropper, which is a firstborn tendency. Uh, parents, beware. Um, and I was listening in to some of the grown-ups, some of the men in the church were talking after they had interviewed this guy and he had, you know, whatever. And one of the guys said, I mean, he's like, he's good looking. She's good looking. A lot of energy. They're young. I say we hire him. Like, I remember that vividly and it doesn't mean that he was a bad youth minister, but I, looking back on that, I'm like, that's the... That's the rubric that we're using to choose our leaders. He's good looking, she's good looking, and they have a lot of energy, you know? Our world is obsessed with that stuff. We are so externally driven, and we put a lot of energy and a lot of emphasis on the outward appearance. And I could beat us up for that, but you know, you know why we do it? It's because it's like it's our option. Like, it's very easy because, like, that's what we can see in other people. Like, 
we can look at someone and we can look at their appearance, we can look at their behavior, we can listen to their words, we can look at their accomplishments or their failures or whatever, and we can, we can see all that external stuff. It's our, it's our option. We, we are unable to see what God can see. So we're kind of working with the best that we have. Also, it's what we can control and what other people see about us, right? As long as we appear a certain way, present a certain way, speak a certain way, behave a certain way, hide certain things so no one sees it, that kind of deal. Then we're, trying, we're able to control that. I heard someone call it impression management one time. I'm going to manage your impression of me, whatever it may take. And so what that does is that just creates a very externally focused and emphasized world that we're in. And that's an inside the church thing, outside the church thing, saved thing, lost thing, whatever. It's, just, it's a part of the, the ethos of the world that we live in. And since God's the only one that can see inside someone, we can only see outside, it's kind of just become our self-reliant default in terms of assessment to the point where there are times when rather than do the internal work ourselves, we're like, well, I'll just change this behavior about me. I'll just kind of put on the happy face and say that I'm blessed and highly favored. Roll on with it, you know. Rather than like pull back the curtain. This is not a casual detail in our scripture. Like God is telling us something about himself and he's also telling us something about our own brokenness. The holy one doesn't see things like the broken ones do. The broken ones are focused on the external stuff. So he's telling Samuel, don't get hung up on all that stuff. Don't look at his appearance. Don't look at his height. Don't look at his firstborn status. You don't see like I see. Man looks on the outward appearance. What does God look at? Look at verse 7. Man looks in the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now we we know what a heart is. We are uh, we've learned a lot in the last three thousand years, right? About the human body and about how things work. They didn't they didn't know all that. And so when when you're reading the Old Testament, and then there's anytime there's talk of the heart, it's not talking about like. The crucial organ that like pumps blood through your body there to them like that's just like their summary word that was the that was the the wellspring that was the seedbed from which everything else in your whole life springs forward that's to them they're like okay all there's something inside of us and that is what is launching our our thoughts our opinions, our understanding, our wisdom, that's what's launching our motives and our desires. That's what's launching our, our emotions and our feelings. That's what's keeping us alive. That's, that's where all our hopes and all our dreams lie. There's something inside of us, not the outside. It's something in, something's happening inside of us. And so they call that the heart. And you partner that with the soul and every day, that's why they prayed that the they would submit their soul and their heart, their everything to him with all of their strength and all of their might. 
Hebrews pray that every morning. And so what is happening in this moment is the Lord is telling Samuel, who wrote it down so we could see it, God's not hung up on all the things that you guys are hung up on. He's able to see the real person. Because he's not like you. He's not like us. I cannot look at any one of you, and you can't look at me and see the heart in this sense. Only God can see that. And so man is focused and obsessed on the external because we are like, we don't have a lot of options. And I'm not saying that the external is not is necessarily inconsistent with the internal. It's just maybe not the most trustworthy thing. So God is saying, hey, I can do what you can't do. I can actually separate behavior from who you are. I can see those things as different. We lump them all together. We're like, oh, you act this way, so therefore you are this kind of person. Oh, you have been through this in your past, therefore you, are, you must be this way or whatever. And God's like, actually, I, no, I see it. I can separate that out. And so in separating those things out, which highlights his holiness, he's essentially saying, look, when I, when I look at you, I see you for who you actually are. And as God is going through these brothers and he's rejecting them, it's not just necessarily this personal indictment of like, you are a piece of garbage, you are a piece of garbage. No, it's just like, no, you're, you're not the one. Bring in the 15-year-old with the red face who's tending to the sheep. I can look inside of him. I, I know who he is who he really is. I see the seedbed of his thoughts and his feelings and his desires and his hopes and his dreams. I see where all that's coming from, and that's the kind of heart that I want at the front. That's who I want sitting on the throne leading my people because his heart is chasing after my heart. And that is what is important here. Not birth order, not height, not handsomeness, not any of those kinds of things. At this point, David, what's on his resume is that he had killed a bear with his bare hands. Never led a people, doesn't, doesn't understand military structure or strategy. God's like, hey, that stuff is not important. I want the heart. And what's wild is that able to see inside of us, what does he do with that knowledge? Like, think about it for a second. If, if people could see what's really going on, would know all of your thoughts. Some of you, that's your worst fear is that people will find out what some of the things you're really thinking or really wondering or really doing God seeing all that, what does he do with that information? He loves you. He welcomes you. Sends his son to die so that all of those sins could be forgiven and you could be welcomed to his table again. 
when I'm done here, one of the, one of the options is, is we have a communion table over here. and You don't have to take communion, but we just offer it as an option each week. Because there are times when you're, you're stirred up about something and, and what God is doing is he's beckoning you, he's calling you. As much as we want to reject a message to say, there's no way that God can see who I really am and he still wants me. And God's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to build this meal into the rhythms of the life of the church that requires you to come to a table and have someone representing Jesus offer you his body and blood that you will then take and drink it into your body, <laughs> offering you, do you want the grace that I have for you? And you say, I want the grace. He's like, cool. Well, how about you just physically take that into your body? And so we offer that as a response every week of like, hey, if that's going to help some dots connect for you, then we want that to be a possibility. Because that is God's response to seeing directly into your heart. And you've th- got to be thinking there's no way that that's true because I can be pretty messed up. And that's the thing about the gospel is that it, is, it feels too good to be true. And someone said a long time ago, if you think it's too good to be true, then you're probably getting close to the right version of it. Now, I would love to stop right there, but let me tell you one more really crucial thing. Is that not only is God, in this moment, looking at David, looking at this 15-year-old kid, red in the face, smelling like the sheep, wasn't even invited, kind of forgotten about by his own family. It's God anointing him. But because God is not like us, He's able to look into David's heart, but also see who he has been and who he is and who he will be all at the same time. And so he's looking at this 15-year-old kid who will build the temple. Like he will assemble all of the materials and get everything together and hand the plans over to his son He is the reason David, I mean, Solomon will build it, but he's the reason why the temple is built. This is the one who will author so many of the Psalms that we have come to treasure and that the words of God that have been prayed and sung by the people of God for centuries. But also the same guy who's going to commit a terrible act of sin, have someone murdered. I mean, like he's going to, he's going to hit some lows, And God is looking at that entire thing all at once. The best of David and the worst of David. Who he has been, who he is, who he will become all the way until the new earth. He's seeing all of that in this one moment. And he's saying, yes. Fully knowing what's going to happen with Bathsheba. Fully knowing what's going to happen with Uriah the Hittite. Fully knowing that he's got to send a prophet in to call him out because David's going to try to get away with it. Fully knowing all of those things. He says yes to him. And in the very same way, fully knowing all of your stuff and all of my stuff, where you've been, where you are, where you're going, seeing all of it at once, he still, through the blood of Christ, says, yes, come. Come to the table. Come and be my son. Come and be my daughter. We think if people really knew 
what was going on. They would want nothing to do with us. But the reality is, God knowing everything that's going on, he wants everything to do with you. And that is the gospel. We see part of that lived out here. And so it's from that perspective that God is choosing his king. It's from that perspective that he is leading your life, like your career, your schooling, your friendships, your marriage, how you raise your kids, what the culture of your family is like, our church, and what's the culture of of our church and all the churches, the, the, the United States government, the global economy. He's all of that stuff. His higher ways are overseeing all of it. All we have to do is come to him like Samuel did and say, you want me to do this? No? Okay. You want me to do this? No? Okay. You want me to do this? Yes. It's not just a moment in history. It's not just a kind of a neat story about how David got to be the king. It's telling us something about who God is and who we are and through Christ who we can become. And so here is this, this God who is everything that we need him to be. Those higher ways, those higher thoughts, and he's given us access to them through the Holy Spirit. He's saying, just love me, worship me, abide in me, listen to me, be obedient. And so for some of you, I think the takeaway is probably is in kind of in that world, you know. It is in that, that idea of like, just like welcoming in the wisdom and the leadership of the Lord because his perspective is so unique. For some of you, it, I think it probably has a lot to do with God's like seeing the, like all of you, like seeing inside of you and still like, like still drawing you closer and closer and closer. And even this idea that while God is doing something in, in linear time in a given moment, he's always keeping everything in mind. And not just like until he returns, but beyond that. That God is always acting with the end in mind. And what is the end? Is the new earth. The end is us healed completely and restored and together for, forever. Like everything is like working toward that. And here's this really crucial moment. Because if you follow David's lineage, guess who shows up? Jesus. And so all of this is fitting in somewhere. And so in the next few moments, we're going to respond. We're going to sing. We're going to kind of cover the spectrum song-wise a little bit. And if you want to just sing your heart out, I invite you to do that. If you want to, these steps are open. If you want to come kneel and pray, if that's helpful to you. We'll have communion, as I said earlier, that's an option. If you're new here, that's what we like to do is just kind of like, hey, let's, let's just see what God has in the scriptures, and then it's yours to steward. And we want to give you a variety of ways to respond whatever connects the most with you. And so let's stand together and I'm going to pray for us and then 
we'll spend a few moments just responding together. Let me pray. Lord, we, um, we are so thankful that we're able to sit here today and read something that happened a long time ago. And yet, through the, through the beauty of how you have put your word together, it still reaches into our lives today. Would you help us in the next few moments to bring ourselves and humble ourselves underneath the truth and uh, the movement of your spirit among us. That we would welcome your perspective on our lives. That we would push away from that obsession with the external. That we would welcome your internal work. That we would make that the thing that receives our energy and our attention. That your holy and perfect perspective would be what we're listening for and looking to. That the parts of us that tend to obsess over the wrong things would be silenced and that we would hear the purity and the the beauty of your voice just rising above all the others. That all those things that are competing for our loyalty and our devotion and our reliance, that those things would just begin to quiet themselves and that they would become very, very dim as your ways and thoughts and words and leadership rise higher. That you would be the the only well that we draw from. That you would help us to listen to your perspective as you see all of it at once, even just reaching into the eternity together. And that from that, we would just bow beneath the holiness of our God. We love you. We thank you. In these next few moments, uh, we respond in spirit and in truth.